And a couple of matters from the legal file to discuss. Actress Lori Laughlin and her husband, uh, they were among 16, of course, indicted in that big college admissions scandal in the U.S. They decided to forego a plea deal, and they're now facing additional charges. So uh, was that a good move? And closer to home on this side of the border, a B.C. driver has been found guilty of using a cell phone while driving behind the wheel, even though his battery was completely dead, completely drained. Now, the judge said that uh, he was using his iPhone with earbuds in his ears, and although the phone was dead, the police said the device was, quote, in a position in which it may be used as defined under the Motor Vehicle Act. Now, the judge ruled that it did not matter that the battery was dead or that the driver wasn't actually using the phone. With earbuds in, the judge ruled that the driver was essentially holding the device and therefore distracted. And for more on both these cases, we're joined now by Mustafa Sheikh, who is a criminal defense lawyer, and he joins us here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Mustafa, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. First off, can you possibly explain for us, just clear this up, how can you, Mustafa, be guilty of distracted driving if your cell phone is dead, your battery's drained? That's actually a good question, and uh, the judge actually did a great job in their submission by citing an earlier decision that came out in 2015 where the courts have made it clear it does not matter if your cell phone is running or the battery is dead. If for whatever reason you are caught using that phone, regardless if it's off or on, it's dead or not dead, you will be charged for that offense. And I think he relied on that precedent which came out in 2015 and was not appealed. So that means it's good law. So he, he had the privilege of just hanging his hat on that previous decision, and that's where we stand today. Okay, but is there a difference between uh, having your dead cell phone up to your ear, which I guess you could argue would be more of a distraction than uh, what happened in this case? Apparently, I don't know, it was in the dash or something like that. It was away, and he had his earbuds uh, in his ear, so he didn't physically have the phone to his head like the 2015 precedent uh, talks about. You're right, and uh, I think, again, though, the judge, uh, and I'm just going to be citing his, uh, he ended up making an inference or a reference to a situation where somebody's using their computer, but ultimately that computer's attached to the keyboard, and by using that keyboard and typing into that keyboard, you're ultimately still using the computer, even though you're not necessarily touching the computer. So I think the inference he drew here was, even though, you're right, the phone was dead, it was in a cubby hole, he wasn't actually touching the phone, but by using the headphones that were attached to the phone, he unfortunately still was operating a handheld device and as such was found guilty. So there is a difference uh, when it comes to the law, a legal matter here. There is a difference between uh, using your, your earbuds and being attached to a device and using Bluetooth in your car, because Bluetooth, that, that, that's acceptable, right? But uh, using earbuds is not? Based on this decision, again, this is a PC decision. It is a lower court decision. And that's the thing, right? I, I feel like with this distracted driving, these are, this is a fairly new law. I mean, it's been... It's, it's been around for quite some time, but I think we're seeing some novel decisions. And I think ultimately what we're going to see is I hope that this decision does get appealed because you're right. It's very hard to sort of distinguish from somebody using their Bluetooth uh, and somebody having, you know, earbuds in their ear. But as things currently stand based on this decision, 
you're dead in the water. You shouldn't be doing either. Okay, sure, but do you think there's room for approval here that uh, there is some uh, legal argument or justification that you could say, I was doing nothing different than somebody on Bluetooth by having my earbuds in. I'm using a, a device, uh, you know, the earbuds uh, can be a wireless, uh, earbuds are. I'm not uh, essentially plugged into my device any differently than I would be if I was using the, the Bluetooth capability in my car. I think that's a strong argument, and I do hope that somebody does ultimately appeal that decision because you're right. I, I don't really see the difference myself there, and I think that is a legitimate argument. If you're allowing, if you're saying that it's okay to be using a Bluetooth, then I don't really see what the difference is in somebody having an earbud. But I do think the major difference that uh, the judge relied upon is with at least Bluetooth, you're still not attaching that to your phone per se. It's attached to the car, and you don't really necessarily have to use your hands. I think in this particular sort of situation, the main distinguishing feature is the fact that the earbuds were not connected to the vehicle per se. They were actually connected to the cell phone. All right, we're here with lawyer Mustafa Sheikh. Uh, Mustafa, I also want to talk about uh, actress Lori Laughlin. Uh, she, of course, among 16 that were involved in that college admissions a cheating scam in the U.S. and were indicted by a federal grand jury. Now, several, including another actress, Felicity Huffman, have taken plea deals. Laughlin decided, Mustafa, not to, and she is now facing additional charges. Uh, what is your take on what's going down uh, there? Do you think that that was a mistake to, to not accept the deal? I, I definitely don't think it was a mistake. I, I feel like based on Ms. Laughlin's... Uh, you know, income bracket and the counsel that she's hired. She's obviously been advised on what some of these triable issues are going to be if this proceeds to trial or when it proceeds to trial. And I think based on the information that counsel has provided to her, she's realized that there probably are some viable defenses that are available to her and her partner. As such, I don't think it's a mistake. And I mean, uh, like, there's a lot of sort of spin on it that, you know, she's walking away from a good deal. But ultimately, that deal isn't necessarily off the table per se. Even after the indictment, before trial, she'll have any op- she, she will have opportunities to accept that deal at a later stage. That's uh, something important to remember. Okay, does it, the deal not get worse, though? I mean, uh, I've often heard that uh, the best deal is the first one offered. And if you don't take that and, uh, you know, you proceed with, uh, you know, court proceedings, that you're tying up the court's time and, and costs and the, the deal might not be as good. Is that kind of a rule of thumb when it comes to any sort of court, court proceeding? My, my friend, I, I, unfortunately, it's, it's definitely not a rule of thumb. It is, it is, it does happen, but on a lot of circumstances, unless you're actually taking it to trial and trial date's been set up and you've shown up for a trial, more often than not, they're still willing to usually offer that resolution as long as it's done before the actual trial date itself. All right. Obviously, as you said, uh, there might be some extenuating circumstances, some sort of legal defense here that maybe we're not aware of that they're prepared to go to court with. But does it weaken her case, Lori Laughlin's case, Mustafa, when you look at Felicity Huffman and several others that took the plea deal that they've admitted to uh, guilt? Is it, uh, does that make it harder for her to say, well, no, my situation was different and I'm innocent? And, and I think that's unfortunately right now, it would be it, it, it's very difficult to answer that uh, that question just because a we're not really privy to all the actual information. We don't know what the actual evidence against these individuals are going to be. As you know, these grand jury indictment proceedings are very very private, so we don't really know what actually came out there. 
But I think it's important to remember every defendant in this situation is ultimately going to have a different story. And I believe that Miss, uh, I believe the defendant in this situation, she might have a different story altogether and have different defenses that weren't available to all the other individuals who've ultimately pled guilty. She might have a story. And I do think the biggest factor here is that her partner's been charged as well. So in this situation, who knows? Maybe she wasn't the one who was making these decisions. Maybe it was ultimately her partner making those decisions. Just a suggestion. All right. Well, obviously, more to come on that front. Laurie Mustafa Sheikh with us this afternoon. Mustafa, really appreciate the time as always. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me, my friend.